Good morning, I'm Pastor Gillespie from St. John Evangelical Lutheran Church and School, Sherman Center, Random Lake, Wisconsin. Good to have you with us here today, Saturday, October 16th, for our Congregation of Prayer, Guide for Daily Meditation and Prayer Around God's Word. Today, we will look at the Old Testament and Epistle readings for tomorrow, Um, consider those a bit, and then uh, actually uh, probably a one of the least well-understood doctrines of our church, but actually one of the most essential. So uh, we'll consider that and how it intersects actually with those readings. All right, we begin. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. I believe in God the Father Almighty, maker of heaven and earth, and in Jesus Christ, his only Son, our Lord, who was conceived by the Holy Spirit, born of the Virgin Mary, suffered under Pontius Pilate, was crucified, died, and was buried. He descended into hell. The third day he rose again from the dead. He ascended into heaven and sits at the right hand of God the Father Almighty. From thence he will come to judge the living and the dead. I believe in the Holy Spirit, the Holy Christian Church, the communion of saints, the forgiveness of sins, the resurrection of the body, and the life everlasting. Amen. Say our memory verse for this week one more time. In this, the love of God was manifested toward us, that God has sent his only begotten Son into the world, that we might live through him. 1 John 4, verse 9. We pray our psalm, Psalm 128. Blessed is everyone who fears the Lord, who walks in his ways. You shall eat the fruit of the labor of your hands. You shall be blessed, and it shall be well with you. Your wife will be like a fruitful vine within your house. Your children will be like olive shoots around your table. Behold, thus shall the man be blessed who fears the Lord. The Lord bless you from Zion. May you see the prosperity of Jerusalem all the days of your life. May you see your children's children. Peace be upon Israel. Glory be to the Father, and to the Son, and to the Holy Spirit, as it was in the beginning, is now, and will be forever. Amen. I think it's fitting for us to uh, hear a meditation on this psalm, since we've been praying it all week. For my favorite, Christ in the Psalms, Father Patrick Henry Reardon. There are passages in the Gospels which, when they are interpreted in isolation, would seem to suggest a relatively unenthusiastic, or at least very qualified view of marriage and family. For example, in St. Luke's Gospel, we are warned, for example, that marriage itself may prove to be an impediment to one's entry into the kingdom, 14 verse 20. Another passage in Luke speaks about leaving one's father and mother and even one's wife for the sake of the kingdom of God, 18 verse 29, hardly a strong endorsement of the family. In the Gospel of St. Matthew, there is a recommendation about making oneself a eunuch for the sake of the kingdom, 19 verse 12. While this expression is to be understood as a metaphor, it still does not reflect especially well on the married state. After all, eunuchs tend not to be solid family types. Moreover, in St. Paul's first epistle to the Corinthians, the high level of eschatological expectancy among the early Christians, that's end times expectancy, by the way, was the context in which he argued for the preference of celibacy over the state of marriage. Chapter 7, verses 25 to 38. Perhaps more than one reader of the New Testament over the centuries has felt obliged to ask if it really 
has anything encouraging to say about marriage, except for the, its symbolic sacramental application. See Ephesians 5 verse 32. We should not reach any hasty conclusions on the basis solely of the foregoing evidence, however. On the contrary, the New Testament indicates in a number of places that the experience of the church is very much joined to the experience of the household. Indeed, entire households adopted the Christian faith of the heads of the household, as in the cases of the centurion at Capernaum, John 4, verse 53, another centurion at Caesarea, Acts 11, verse 14, a business uh, woman and a jailer at Philippi, Acts 16, 15, and 31, a synagogue leader at Corinth, Acts 18, verse 8. It was in such core families, doubtless, that the great majority of the second or at least the third and later generations of Christians were born. That is to say, in spite of many obvious exceptions, whether because of monastic dedication or the plain circumstance that a person has remained single, for most Christians, the gospel life has meant being a member of a Christian household. In other words, most Christians have been sanctified, made holy through the varied relationships and obligations established by the sacrament of marriage and the beginning of children. All right, and we wouldn't call marriage a sacrament, uh, per- particularly um, because it's been given to uh, the whole world, not specifically to the church. Um, but we do like a definition of a sacrament. There's a visible sign with a word of promise. There are words of promise attached to marriage, right? That is a blessing. Maybe not eternal promises, hmm, but at least temporal ones. So um, Lutherans would use typically a, a kind of... A, a little bit more fudgy term, or soft term, sacramental view of marriage. All right, anyway. In this connection, the theme of the believer's family, so prominent in Psalm 126 and even more dominant in 127, here Hebrew 128, blessed are all who fear the Lord, those who walk in his ways. The fruits of your labors will you eat. Will you, eat? you are blessed and it will be well with you. Your wife shall be like a vine flourishing within the walls of your house, your sons like olive shoots are about your table. Behold, thus shall be blessed the man who fears the Lord. The Lord bless you from Zion, and may you see the good things of Jerusalem all the days of your life. May you see your children's children, peace be upon Israel. This psalm, which begins with a beatitude and ends with a blessing, is modest in its hopes. It does not wish for wealth or power or prestige. There is nothing here about getting ahead, quote-unquote. The psalm speaks, rather, of eating the fruits of one's own labors, an idiom, literally, the labors of one's fruits. <laughs> it is not a wish for easy money, but for such resources as come from hard employment. Indeed, the word used here is not the usual one designating work. It is, rather, the plural form of panos, which means labor in the sense of very arduous tax, tasks, even pain. In fact, in most versions of Revelation 16.10 and 21 verse 4, ponos is translated as sorrow. Once again, as in the previous psalm, the image evoked here is that of, of the fallen Adam bending over his hoe to deal with the uncooperative soil. Yes, this is the blessing of our psalm, the simple joy of maintaining one's own life, even at a subsistence level. And also the life of one's family. A man's wife and his children are blessings from God here described with the metaphors of fruitful plants. The blessing of this psalm is the happiness found in the life of work and the circle of of the family, all the way to old age and the vision of grandchildren. God God says our psalm 
blesses his reverent, that is all who fear the Lord, and obedient, those who walk in his ways, servants with these benedictions. Such things pertain to the peace of Jerusalem. And uh, I've made this argument uh, repeatedly, this case, uh, especially before the elders, but also repeated to the council. And then at the last voters meeting, also made the case that um, it is the the church uh, by which Christ builds up, or excuse me, it is the family by which Christ builds up the church. Uh, we are a household of God built up as living stones into his body, um, and he builds up our households, and he uses the vocations of mother and father, father and mother in particular, uh, to train up children in the way they should go, that namely in the, in the uh, instruction of God's word and the receiving of his gifts regularly and frequently. And uh, most of the challenges that we face today as a, as a congregation or as a church at large is actually a result, I would argue, of the, the disillusion of the family. family. Uh, the way the family and its role uh, in training children actually in the faith has been neglected, sidelined, um, abused even, or disregarded, worse yet. Uh, and you'll see this in the, in the behavior and the life of um, your neighbors around you. Those who have forsaken God's word um, you know, might hold things together pretty well, but you'll note that their children become worse than they are, <laughs> um, and their grandchildren even worse yet, right? And it starts here. It starts with um, not providing, or not walking in his ways and listening to his word, right? How did he say it? Fearing the Lord and walking in his ways um, without hearing and then following that voice that speaks. Um, everything else kind of just falls apart, especially the family. All right. Uh, and actually, kind of to that point, uh, we'll hear our epistle, and then oh, I have these in the wrong order. No, oh, that's okay. We'll read it in this order. Uh, our epistle for tomorrow is Ephesians 5, verse 15 to 21. See then that you walk circumspectly, not as fools, but as wise, redeeming the time because the days are evil. Therefore, do not be unwise, but understand what the will of the Lord uh, is, and do not be drunk with wine in which is dissipation, but be filled with the Spirit, speaking to one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing and making melody in your heart to the Lord, giving thanks always for all things to God the Father in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, submitting to one another in the fear of God. Right. So here again, you have that, that theme of walking, but here it's, it's circumspectly, that is paying attention, looking about you. Circumspect is 360 degrees. So paying attention to, to your surroundings, um, but to your actions, looking inward and outward, um, not as foolish, but as wise, right? Um, and, it, and everything depends, in order to walk circumspectly, just like we saw in the psalm, Psalm 128, so here is understanding the will of the Lord, what it is, and then here submitting to one another in the fear of God, right? So we submit to one another, we set our place, position ourselves under others, we serve our neighbor according to the fear of God, that is, according to the will of the Lord, right? And what is, how are we going to know that? Through the word, by the spirit. So thus, 19, speaking to one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, making melody to the Lord, giving thanks, etc. All right, so it's the liturgical life of the church <laughs> that shows us how to walk about in our daily life. It's the regular hearing of preaching and teaching and the singing and making melody of, of both the psalms and then um, the po poems of the church, uh, that is the psalm, uh, the hymns, I should say. It's all of that 
that actually then gives you that ability to see 360 degrees around you and how to submit to one another and when, when we can and when we can't, and then also how to do so according to the word of God. All right. So to be a Christian, literally, is to walk according to the word, listening, and then applying that word um, as you have opportunity. All right. Um, tomorrow is the Sunday, Sunday of uh, the wedding feast. There's a couple wedding feast parables, and tomorrow um, is the particular one about um, coming unprepared <laughs> to the final day. Uh, and so um, the Old Testament text was chosen, I think, to be a companion to that uh, gospel text. Isaiah 55. Oh, everyone who thirsts, come to the waters, and you who have no money, come, buy, and eat. Yes, come, buy wine and milk, without money and without price. Why do you spend money for that which is not bread, and your wages for what does not satisfy? Listen to me and eat what is good, and let your soul delight itself in abundance. Incline your ear and come to me, hear and your soul shall live, and I will make an everlasting covenant with you the sure mercies of David. Indeed, I have given him as a witness to the people, a leader and commander for the people. Surely you shall call a nation you do not know, and nations who do not know you shall run to you because of the Lord your God and the Holy One of Israel, for he has glorified you. Seek the Lord while he may be found. Call upon him while he is near. Let the wicked forsake his way and the unrighteous man his thoughts. Let him return to the Lord and he will have mercy on him and to our God for he will abundantly pardon. For my thoughts are not your thoughts nor are my ways your ways, says the Lord. For as the heavens are higher than the earth, so are my ways higher than your ways and my thoughts uh, than your thoughts. Actually, some pretty consistent themes here in this reading as well with the uh, epistle reading, namely um, that we turn away from the way that we are going and return to the way of the Lord, right? Return to the Lord. And uh, of course, his way is not our way and his His thoughts are not our thoughts, right? But we actually know his ways. We know his thoughts uh, because he's revealed them to us in his word, okay? <laughs> um, I've heard this, actually, I've heard someone explain this uh, I won't mention the setting, but explain this in a way that was really an abuse to the text and saying that, well, we just can't understand what's going on. And there's a sense of that in the text, but it doesn't presume that we don't know his ways and his thoughts. It's just that they're not ours by nature, right? Sinful man does not um, go after God, does not believe in God, does not choose God, but rather God chooses, chooses him, right? And absolves him and has mercy on him and pardons him, right? Um, and it's actually the Spirit of God that calls us back um, to Christ, the Spirit working through our baptism and through the Word. Right? And to that theme, I mentioned that we would uh, consider a doctrine that's probably a little less, uh, well, I wouldn't say popular, just not well known. Um, we don't talk about it probably enough, and it's a distinction that needs to be made um, for the sake of terrified consciences. Now, this is the key, um, especially in our Lutheran confessions. That's a repeated theme throughout. All the confessions, especially the Augsburg Confession, and then into the the remain the rest of them, is that everything in the Christian Church is ordered towards forgiveness of sins, because it's forgiveness of sins that provides uh, comfort for terrified consciences. Right? And every other doctrine that flows from the forgiveness of sins from Jesus Christ crucified for that forgiveness is also given for comfort. Whether it's the sacrament of the altar, whether it's baptism, whether it's absolution itself, the rite private absolution, that personal 
confession, the office of the keys, is again given for the sake of terrified consciences. And when we talk about um, what St. Paul talked about there in um, Ephesians, so I'll scroll back up to that, Ephesians 5 here, right, that, um, well, that we, sub- that we are to follow after God, how can one do so, all right? And uh, here we need to talk about what we call the doctrine of God's foreknowledge and election. Foreknowledge and election. We haven't talked about this for a while, so I think it's worth um, revisiting it. All right? So first, um, this is Formula of Concord, Article uh, 11. Article 11. And it starts this way. No public dissension has developed among the theologians of the Augsburg Confession concerning this article. In other words, Lutherans. But since it is such a comforting article when it is correctly treated, we have included an explanation of it in this document, lest at some future date offensive decision, dissension concerning it might be introduced into the church. And it turns out that all of the major theological conflicts in the Missouri Synod up until the middle of the 20th century, so every major theological conflict was over the doctrine of election. So thanks be to God that um, the, the authors of the formula took the time uh, to include this just in case, just in case. All right, so to start with, the distinction between the foreknowledge and the eternal election of God is to be diligently noted. So there's a difference between God's foreknowledge that he knows ahead of time and his choosing us unto salvation. These two things aren't the same. God's foreknowledge is nothing else than that God knows all things before they happen. As it is written, there is a God in heaven who reveals mysteries, and he has made known to King Nebuchadnezzar what will happen in later days. Daniel 2, verse 28. This foreknowledge extends alike over good people and evil people. Right? God knowing all things extends to everyone. But, but, it is not the cause of evil or of sin which compels anyone to do something wrong. The original source of this is the devil and man's wicked and perverse will. Neither is God's foreknowledge the cause of man's perdition. For this, man himself is responsible. God's foreknowledge merely controls the evil and imposes and control. Yeah, controls the evil and imposes a limit on its duration, so that in spite of its intrinsic wickedness, it must minister to the salvation of the elect of His elect. All right. So there, He's saying God does know all things, even good, both good and evil, before they happen. But then He uses and allows all things to happen. For the sake of, what does he say? That it must minister to the salvation of his elect. So all history, all future history that God alone knows is used for you and for your salvation, namely for your salvation. Hmm. Even the things that we suffer. All right, that's key. On the other hand, predestination or eternal election of God, however, is concerned only with the pious children of God in whom he is well pleased. It is the cause of their salvation. For he alone brings it about and ordains everything that belongs to it. Our salvation is so firmly established upon it, the gates of Hades cannot prevail against it. We are not to investigate this predestination in the secret counsel of God, but it is to be looked for in his word where he has revealed it. The word of God, however, leads us to Christ, who is the book of life, in which all who are to be eternally saved and inscri- are inscribed and elected, as it is written. He chose us in him before the foundation of the world. Ephesians 1 verse 4. So this is a huge theme in the book of Ephesians. This Christ calls all sinners to himself and promises them refreshment. 
He earnestly desires that all men should come to him and and they let themselves be helped. To these he offers himself and his word, and it is his will that they hear the word and do not stop their ears or despise it. In addition, he promises the power and operation of the Holy Spirit and divine assistance for steadfastness and eternal life. Therefore, we should not judge this election of ours, God choosing us, to eternal life on the basis either of reason, using our brain power, or God's law. This would either lead us to a reckless, dissolute, epicurean life, we're saved no matter what, all right? So we can just live however we want, or drive men to despair and waken dangerous thoughts in their hearts. Well, according to God's law, I, I'm doesn't appear that I'm a Christian, I don't keep his commands, therefore I'm not going to be saved, right? And then despair. So you see either on the one hand, if this is not understood, on the one hand, people live as if their baptism doesn't matter and it doesn't affect their life, or on the other hand, they act as if um, that God's law is too severe and there's no way that I can be saved, all right? Um, And so what we often call kind of the mushy middle is really actually an extreme the people who are kind of half committed to the church are really living on that extreme, uh, what they call, what he calls here, reckless, dissolute, epicurean life. Just eat, drink, and be merry for tomorrow we die. I'm baptized. Not, there's no, no reason why I should amend my life or be attentive or circumspect, as Paul there said in uh, Ephesians 5. All right, hopefully that makes sense to you. As long as men follow their reason, they can hardly escape such reflections as this. Quote, if God has elected me to salvation, I cannot be damned, do as I will. Or, quote, if I am not elected to eternal life, whatever good I do is of no avail. Everything is in vain in that case. End quote. Yeah. Um, I see a comment from uh, Eileen there. Living on the edge, right? So living either as if um, faith doesn't matter, right? Faith and life don't matter. And, and that on one extreme, that's living in despair and there's no way God can save me. So what, whatever. What am I going to do and just live constantly in fear of God? Or on the other hand, um, to live as if um, God has already given me everything needed for faith and life, and I, but that does not actually change my life. It doesn't, um, it's not a way or a path. Whereas I think in the way of, say, like Pilgrim's Progress, I think Bunyan got this part right, is um, we don't want to fall in either ditch. We actually want to walk the narrow path, which is actually the middle way, right? Which is the way of Christ. Neither reckless, um, nor despairing, but confident in Christ. That makes sense? All right. Um, so we must learn about Christ from the gospel, holy gospel alone, which clearly testifies that, quote, God has consigned all men to disobedience, that he may have mercy upon all, Romans eleven thirty two, and that he does not want anyone to perish, Ezekiel 33, 11, 18, and 23, but that everyone should repent and believe on the Lord Jesus Christ, 1 Timothy 2, verse 6, 1 John 2, verse 2. The doctrine of God's eternal election is profitable and comforting to the person who concerns himself with the revealed will of God and observes the order which St. Paul follows in the epistle to the Romans. He there directs men first to repent, to acknowledge their sins, to believe in Christ, to obey God, and only then does he speak of the mystery of God's eternal election. Many are called, but few are chosen. All right, so that's all from the solid declaration, um, or excuse me, the epitome, which is the shorter version of the formula of concord in the longer version the solid declaration um on the same article eternal knowledge and uh, foreknowledge, foreknowledge and election um the text our epistle text is actually used verbatim so i need to find that here 
Uh, Ephesians 5, right? Yep, there we go. All right. So this is like paragraph 40. So it's a much longer article. Um, but we want to do that. Or 41. We'll do verse 41. Or, excuse me, paragraph 41. All right. In this sense, many are called, but few are chosen. For few accept the word and obey it. The majority despise the word and refuse to come to the wedding. All right. Now there you're thinking of Matthew 22, our gospel text for tomorrow. All right. Many, the majority, despise the word and refuse to come to the wedding. The reason for such contempt of the word is not God's foreknowledge, all right, so we've talked about that, that he knows all things, but man's own perverse will, which rejects or perverts the means and instrument of the Holy Spirit which God offers to him through the call, and resists the Holy Spirit who wills to be efficaciously active through the word, as Christ says, how often would I have gathered you together and you would not? Matthew 23, verse 37. In the same way, many, quote, receive the word with joy, but after that, quote, they fall away again. Luke 8, 13. But the reason for this is not that God does not want to impart the grace of perseverance to those in whom he has, quote, begun the good work. This would contradict St. Paul in Philippians 1, verse 6. The reason is, why, did, why do some who receive it with joy and then later fall away? The reason is that they willfully turn away from the holy commandment, grieve and embitter the Holy Spirit, become entangled again in the filth of the world, and decorate their hearts as a tabernacle for the devil so that their last state is worse than the first. All right? So there, think of, um, yeah, the Ephesians text, right? Uh, which begins in verse, yeah, 15 to 21. So specifically this. Eight, look at verse 18. Do not be drunk with wine in which is dissipation, but be filled with the Holy Spirit. You see? So what is Paul, what is Paul um, teaching there? And as the formula here would suggest as well, citing this verse, is that people who once have God's word, have the Spirit, then grieve and embitter the Spirit by entangling themselves in the filth of the world and decorating their hearts as a tabernacle for the devil, right? So setting themselves up again um, to be um, in possession to the, to the demons of this world. All right. So, um, so again, we have to be careful here and not saying that God destines some for hell and destines some um, for heaven or God um, like enslaves us to evil and enslaves others to good or something like that. God, just because God knows something happens does not mean it's his will for us. All right. Um, he does allow things to happen to us sometimes, but it's according to that, that we would consider evil and he would too, but that's not um, to hurt or harm us, but it's rather for the sake of repentance and faith. It is actually for our benefit, for the strengthening, strengthening of faith, for building up rather than tearing down. All right. That's not always easy for us to accept in the moment, especially, um, but you'll note um, then on the flip side too, uh, there is also the need for us to recognize that God has not called us um, into just like an abstract idea of faith, but actually into a faith that's lived out in, the, in our life, right? Where we look about and we act wisely, not foolishly. We look around in our, uh, those who are nearby to us and we serve them, um, and submit ourselves to them according to God's word, right? According to our vocations that he gives. 
but also that we flee that which would draw us away from Christ and um, back into captivity, sin, death, and devil, right? And walk the way that he has set before us. I think that's key. And we often forget that there, there is actually a Christian life. Um, so this happens twice, and, and it, both actually are related to baptism. But typically, at least in my experience growing up in the church, but also as in my ministry, is that people approach baptism this way, right? So I need to have my child baptized so that they'll be saved. True. But then they forget the, the, how Jesus himself, say in Matthew 28, attaches uh, teaching to baptism, right? To go and baptize all nations in the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, and teaching them to observe all things I have commanded you, right? So it happens there. It happens again when, God willing, the child comes before the altar um, or as an adult and confesses the faith they've received in their baptism. Call that the rite of confirmation. The pastor says, yep, that's what we believe. You believe what we believe. Good. All right. Your baptism has held fast. And then again, they walk away from teaching. They walk away from God's word. They walk away from the regular reception of the Lord's gifts because they've now accomplished, again, some extra biblical thing that there's no promises attached to confirmation from God's word, right? Um, but now somehow we think, well, that's, that's done the trick, right? And now I'm a Christian once and done, always and forever, and go and live whatever life I want apart from Jesus and his word. Mm, that, uh, that's a false opinion as well, right? And uh, the horrible thing is that actually God gives us over to the desires of our hearts. And hopefully it doesn't take much of a tragedy <laughs> um, to draw us back to say, uh, I need God's word as a regular, consistent part, um, not only of my, my weekly life, but even my daily life. All right. Again, not a popular, uh, not a popular teaching, but, but having walking the way, walking circumspectly, walking, knowing that God has elected you unto salvation and has given you his spirit and has chosen you, this is meant to be your comfort. It, but it no longer is comfortable to you if you forsake the walking part, <laughs> the following, the listening, the obeying part, right? Now you lose the comfort because um, you're not confident that you actually, um, you don't hear that regular, actually repeated comfort that God's word gives as your sins are forgiven, as you receive the sacrament, as you hear preaching and teaching. All right. I think that's enough on that. So uh, again, I'd encourage you to, if you don't already have, uh, where's my, oh, here it is. If you don't already have a copy of the Lutheran Confessions, um, this is an excellent devotional reading. It's very approachable. This translation is very readable, the Concordia of the Lutheran Confessions. Um, it has many historic notes and footnotes to help you uh, with things that maybe you don't know who a particular person is or uh, what a particular theology is that they're responding against or to, towards. All right. Um, and I think they're, I think they're on about 25 or $30. So it's worth picking up one of those if you haven't already. All right, let's confess our catechism for this week, also included in the Lutheran Confessions. Um, the first article of the Creed, I believe in God the Father Almighty, maker of heaven and earth. What does this mean? I believe that God has made me and all creatures, that he has given me my body and soul, eyes, ears, and all my members, my reason and all my senses, and still takes care of them. He also gives me clothing and shoes, food and drink, house and home, wife and children, land, animals, and all I have. He richly and daily provides me with all that I need to support this body and life. He defends me against all danger and guards and protects me from all evil. All this he does out of 
fatherly, divine goodness, without any merit or worthiness in me, divine goodness and mercy, excuse me, without any merit or worthiness in me, for all this it is my duty to thank and praise, serve and obey him. This is most certainly true. All right, I saw in the chat uh, somebody wanted a link to the Book of Concord, <laughs> Reader's Edition, and uh, I tried to look it up while we were talking, and that was not a wise idea because I got confused. Oh, here's the Reader's Edition. All right, I'll put a link uh, in the chat. It is $34.95. There are bulk discounts available. There are multiple formats available. You can get it leather-bound, etc. cetera. Uh, but this is just the regular hardcover edition. All right, so yeah, pick up a copy of that. and. Uh, can literally just start from the front. It's an excellent resource. All right, let us pray. Heavenly Father, your word gives life and has created and sustained all things. We thank you for the sun, the moon, and the stars which give light to the earth and order our days and seasons. We give thanks to you for the expanse of the sky, for the water that sustains all of life, and for the dry land upon which we live. We give thanks to you for the plants and animals of your creation. You have given all of this to us for our good and for our enjoyment. We give thanks to you that you have created us in your image, male and female, to be fruitful and multiply and to have dominion over creation. We thank you for ordering our lives and giving us rest and refreshment through your word. Most of all, we thank you for redeeming us and all creation from sin and death through the gift of your only begotten Son, Jesus Christ. Help us to trust in you as our creator and to believe in your Son for eternal life and salvation. Through the same Jesus Christ, our Lord, who lives and reigns with you in the Holy Spirit, one God, now and forever. Amen. We pray the collect. Almighty and merciful God of your bountiful goodness, keep us from all things that may hurt us, that we, being ready in both body and soul, may cheerfully accomplish whatever you would have us do. Through Jesus Christ, your Son, our Lord, who lives and reigns with you in the Holy Spirit, one God, now and forever. Amen. On this Saturday, we pray for faithfulness to the end for the renewal of those who are withering in the faith or have fallen away, for pastors as they prepare to administer Christ's holy gifts, and for receptive hearts and minds on the Lord's day. Let us pray to the Lord. Lord, have mercy. We pray today in Thanksgiving with Jackie and Nicole, who both celebrate their birthday, with Paul, who celebrates his baptism. Pray for our households, especially that of Randy, Gus and Eileen, Jonathan, Kevin and Mandy, Derek and Dolores. Pray for those who are ill, receiving treatment and recovering, especially Tristan, Marcella, Kelsey, Ron, Joel, Amanda, Dan, and John, Timothy, Janice, Sandy, Ken, uh, Norm, who's now home from the hospital, thanks be to God, also Sandy, Kathy, and Mike. We also pray for our homebound, Bev, David, Roy, Willis, Mickey, and Paul. We pray for the missions and mercy work of the church, especially Orphan Grain Train, our mission of the month. We pray in intercession for a disdain of earthly things, and we pray with those who grieve, especially the family and friends of Kay Winter. For all this, let us pray to the Lord. Lord, have mercy. Do not believe we have a commemoration today. Pretty confident of that, but let me let me make sure though. Nope, no commemorations today. All right, let's continue then with the Lord's prayer. Our Father who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done, on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our trespasses, as we forgive those who trespass against us. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. 
For thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever and ever. Amen. I thank you, my heavenly Father, through Jesus Christ, your dear Son, that you have kept me this night from all harm and danger, and I pray that you would keep me this day also from sin and every evil, that all my doings and life may please you. For into your hands I commend myself, my body and soul and all things. Let your holy angel be with me, that the evil foe may have no power over me. Amen. Let us bless the the Lord. Thanks be to God. The grace of our Lord Jesus Christ and the love of God and the communion of the Holy Spirit be with you all. Amen. All right. We went a little bit long today. Let's just sing the first stanza of our hymn, all right? It's a little bit abrupt for you, but there you go. You know that hymn pretty well, I'm sure. We sing it frequently. All right, so that's our congregation of prayer for today, Saturday, October 16th, 2021. Uh, sorry for being a little bit distracted there. Um, actually, the Lutheran Confessions, you can get that same edition, not from CPH, but directly from Amazon for $10 less, so $25. And that, if you have Amazon Prime, that's free shipping. Um, so I'll put that link in the in the comments below for 25. I mean, that's a, that's a bargain. As a matter of fact, I need to get one for one of our teachers. So, <laughs> so maybe I'll pick up a copy myself. All right. Uh, for our teacher. So Lord be with you all. Keep you safe. And we'll see you tomorrow for divine service at nine thirty. All right.